welcome to the Home and Family Culture Podcast, where I discuss how the attitudes, habits, traditions, roles, and expectations in our homes influence the hearts, minds, spirits, and bodies of our children and the nation. I'm Jody Chafee, and in this episode, I will be talking with Paul Schulte, who's a wheelchair basketball champion. He has played in five world championships, earning two gold medals, one silver, and two bronzes. He's also played in three Paralympics in London, Beijing, and Sydney when he earned two bronze medals. He also announced in the Rio Games, and he's amazing. We grew up together, actually, and we had a really great conversation about how his childhood and his life shaped him and prepared him to be an Olympian. I hope you enjoy the conversation we had. One of the reasons why I wanted to start this podcast is actually watching the Olympics and going, how do these people get their kids from childhood? I mean, because it's not like they did, these adults decided, I think I'm going to do the Olympics. Mm. They had something going on in their upbringing right, right. when they were kids, in their family culture, where they were supported to do this sport and to do a good job and actually think of it in a way of, I'm going to go to the Olympics someday, you know? And so I'm thinking, what is going on in their family culture that that's happening? Because I think, you know, a lot of parents, they think, I really want my kid to be successful at whatever they choose to do, or or else are they thinking, I want to get my kid into this <laughs> so that they can be successful. And so yeah. like, are parents forcing their kids into this, or is it something that the child chose and it's just something going on in their family culture supporting them and helping it to mesh? And so that's basically, I was like, I want to start interviewing people who are successful or their kids are successful. And it sounds like you kind of have both of that going on. And, and so it's like, so that's what I want to find out from you. Like, how, what is your story? How did you get started in basketball? Well, so, I mean, in, in Manchester, Michigan, where we grew up, it was pretty tiny place. And we grew up out in the countryside. And um, I think I was... I mean, right off the bat, as long as I can remember, being able, I was just the thrill of being able to run and ride my bike and compete in sports and um, anything, you know, very physically active, I was just, you know, just, I don't know, they say like run, runner's high is what, why some people love to run and uh, I don't know if that's what I had, but I had something like that where every time I competed in a physical activity when I was young, it was just awesome. I loved it. And uh, from soccer to football to baseball, baseball being one of my first loves, um, I was very drawn to sports. And um, as an eight-year-old, I remember my dad, um, I was so, I was showing so much commitment to it that my dad thought to himself, well, my dad was going to be the t-ball coach. And he looked at the schedule of our practices for in town and in town there's not you know there's not a plethora of baseball fields so and so dad decided that he was going to mow down the tall grass in the backyard and he was going to build a baseball field well just mowed down the grass mowed out base paths and then put up a backstop you know four poles and some chain link fence and t-ball practice was you know i remember a lot of t-ball practices at our house 
And so he did that so that our team would have more opportunity and it was kind of easy on him and get him to work and all the kids were coming to our house. Um, so I guess uh, I, I showed a something that my dad and mom were always really good at was that if we were showing a strong commitment to something, that the harder that we committed to it, the harder that they committed to it in a way. They wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to thoroughly uh, feel something out and see if it's something that we wanted to do and we're passionate about. Like, so, toes in the water over here, and then a little bit over there, and like get a little, you know, smorgasbord taste. It was like, no, I want this one thing, and I'm excited about it, and that's they, that's what they would. Yeah. yeah, yep, yep. And they they, and would, they would also, also encourage, encourage us that, that if, uh, uh, no, let's no, say we say wanted a silver trumpet or something, or something that, that was like, like you know, once you start talking about equipment that's more expensive, they were like, yeah, no, you're gonna show us that you're really after this and. That you're willing to take care of, uh, take care of your equipment, and you're, that you're really serious about it. You're not just thinking about it this week or next month. You're thinking about it month after month after month. And so, um, and so, I remember being a pretty sports fanatic. My dad definitely, even at eight years old, I was going out to practice baseball, like an hour and a half, two hours a day on my own. Just hitting the ball against that fence, thinking about the next practice that we would have, and, and my parents never pushed me to do that. Um, that was just that was just that was just me. After I, I think I think anybody when they get involved with a something they're passionate about, whether it's art or it's music or it's sports, you you have kind of a surge of excitement when you feel yourself getting better at a particular skill. And the first couple times, I really remember connecting with a baseball and hitting it really far. And I, I thought it was really far. I knew it was really far when I did it. And uh, I was just thinking, man, that felt fantastic. And so I was, I was very much a sports fanatic at eight and nine years old. And then at ten years old. Um, the day after my birthday in 1989, my mom, myself, my brother were involved in a car accident. And I was sitting in the back seat of the car, and both cars were only going 35 miles an hour. But, um, but with both cars going 35 miles, uh, miles an hour and a head-on collision, it was... Uh, it was a lot more, there was a lot more impact than you might think. And so I was in the back seat and had a, had a lap belt on for a seat belt. It didn't have a shoulder harness. And so I, my, my upper body kind of whiplashed and that's how I fractured um, a low vertebrae in my back and bruised my spinal cord. It didn't, didn't sever it and it actually only bruised a portion of it. So I still have still a little bit of leg movement, but not enough to functionally walk or um, and so, you know, your question was, well, how did you get into how you get into wheelchair basketball? The interesting part is that right after I got hurt, they said, hey, you should you were so into sports before. There are sports for people with physical disabilities, and you should you should get into it. You should play. And my dad and mom were like, you want to you want to try this? And I said, nope, not even a little bit interested. Thank you very much. I wanted to get right back to. I want to get right back to the playground and to my friends and back into normal life. And it took me four years to accept an invitation to go to a wheelchair basketball practice. Um, I, uh, you know, the sports that I tried before, um, I, I never really liked or tried. I don't even remember trying basketball before. 
I was in a wheelchair. And then in seventh grade is where I is where I finally accepted that invitation to a wheelchair basketball practice. And it was in part because I had close friends that were starting to be able to jump up and grab the rim. And when I saw my close friends jump up and grab grab the rim, that's when I had my own little epiphany of. You know, you know, my friends, friends are always, always going to make sure I have a good time. time. We're always going to have fun together. But at but a certain point, point it's, it's going to become less fun for me to compete against them because of that. that. You, know, you know, them, them just, just really, really starting, starting to have, have some athletic, athletic prowess. prowess and, and, um, and so I accepted that invitation to wheelchair basketball practice in part because it was an adult wheelchair basketball practice. So I thought to myself, well, you know what, two things. I wanted... The Olympics. the Olympics. I wanted, you know, one winner, total competitive, uh, competitive sports. And so because I knew there was a bunch of adults going out to practice, I knew that they weren't going just for a participation medal. I knew that they were going out there to compete. And then the fact that it was an all-adult practice and I was going to come watch and maybe try it really appealed to me because that meant that I had no chance. And I liked that. Um, that meant that, that, that it was going to be a really, really strong, strong challenge. challenge. And, and I showed up, and I had, had, yeah, I had some amazing experiences that first night. It blew my mind. First couple athletes I met just completely shattered the stereotypes that I had of adaptive sports. And I think from that night on, on a weekly basis, I was showing up to wheelchair basketball practice and, and basically met individuals that were living the kind of life that I wanted to live. And um, from being, I was I was hooked. I was hooked both from a, both from a sports standpoint, but also I had mentors, and they were basically they were they were in living color examples in front of me of living your life in an active way that where you're determining your own course, and as well as helping paint a picture for me of uh, collegiate athletics. Uh, the Paralympics, Paralympics and where I could be going. Had so the Olympics in your mind I had re- I think when I think, you started. You were you were kind of thinking that way. Um, well, once, once they, they um, once they, they I, I remember growing up and loving. Um, I remember growing up and watching NBC and watching um, Summer Olympics and the Winter Olympics and just you know kind of having that thrill of watching your country compete. And yeah. hearing national anthem, and they get, you know, kids world, worldwide have that kind of experience. But then, once they started describing to me that, hey, there's something called the Paralympics, and at first I was like, oh yeah, and they said, yeah, and it's super serious, and uh, you know, to the point that they, to the point that they drug test, and you fly, you have to fly all around the world to com- to compete and qualify and everything else, and. So it was pretty lofty, and that uh, that really appealed to me. So that, that's how I was introduced. That was my background before I got uh, introduced to wheelchair basketball, and then and then what it was like at first. Very ambitious, and then so and your parents would really tap into that and continue to support you when you when they saw your ambition and your excitement for whatever you wanted, what you were excited about, and it, and it happened to be that you you chose basketball and your ambition really did push you through to that to the because you saw you saw the potential and so that ambition that was inside of you really propelled you to keep moving forward and keep doing 
what you believed. I think I think the I other think thing, too, I, I, I you know, don't consider myself to be a, a well, I guess, I guess others would consider me to be a pretty ambitious person, but I, I think that what they instilled in me when I was a real young kid and then, you know, before getting hurt, after getting hurt, was that a really strong sense of, um, you know, there will be there will be fortunate things that happen in your life and less fortunate things that happen in your life. But ultimately, your life can and will be a product and influenced greatly by your own decisions. And so mom and dad were real clear on that early that, you know, they didn't instill in us like a, a sense of panic or anything like that. But they did instill in us a sense of responsibility and saying, hey, your life is going to be what, what you make of it. And early on. You know, we'd watch, we'd watch, you know, inspiring videos and sports or what have you, just just ones that helped you kind of get a start to dream about what you want your life to be like. And, and mom and dad were great at uh, breaking that down into daily decisions and daily habits that would have, that would influence and affect that end all goal. So, so anyway, I think that's what was going through. Culture is is the 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 language. And yeah. habits, you know, habits are a big part of, you know, it's like, how, what is your, what is your family default into is what your family culture is going to be. You know, what are you, what are your values? What are your principles that you face that, that shape your family and what you guys, the decisions that you make, the choices you make, the way you live each day is your family culture. And that's, yeah, I don't know if your parents like were conscientiously just really thinking about it as family culture, but they had a vision, and that's really also what it comes back to is the vision that they had for you guys to be successful and to, to know that that was in your hands and to, to, to give you that. So how does that translate now with, with your son and, and motocross? Like, how did he fall into that, and how have you, do you feel like a lot of what your parents have done is translating into your own parenthood? Well, I think that I'm, I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does in all of us because, you know, I mean, you. Before we hear the rest of Paul's answer, this is where I would normally, if this were a legit podcast, which it kind of is, but this is where I would come in and say this is my word from our sponsors. So if you are interested in sponsoring my podcast, I would love to hear from you. However, I don't have any sponsors. <laughs> so this is just me coming in and telling you that actually we had some te technical difficulties here. Paul and I got disconnected. And so we had to come back in and continue our conversation, but I didn't want you to miss anything that he said. And again, I also want to apologize for the sound quality. I'm sorry. <laughs> So I hope, though, that that does not take away from the message that that I'm sharing and what Paul has to say, because it's really awesome. And from here, it gets really good. So don't go away. Enjoy the rest of the show. Asked me how you felt like you know 
that experience with my parents has affected mm -hmm. me with Brady and his BMX racing. Yeah. And, um, you know, I think that I only really remember, I remember loving sports, but I remember a surge of competitiveness hitting me around eight years old. Mm -hmm. And um, that's always something that, I mean, just having so much, uh, having played so much sports in my life, obviously friends and family and people who said, oh, well, you know, your son will be an athlete or what, right. what have you. And, and I've definitely learned through my own experiences that, you know, someone's passion, there's, there's no let, that everyone's passion has value. Mm -hmm. And um, with, my, with my brothers and sisters, um, I had brothers that, that loved to play sports too, but really they also loved to do art and computers. And my sister was um, really good at the piano. And so I gained an appreciation for these different things and, and seeing Grady grow up, I feel inclined to, even though I love sports, I feel inclined to do the same things that I same thing that I watch my parents do is wait and watch and see what he gravitates towards and then help him celebrate and appreciate whatever he's really gravitated towards. And um, so, if it's something that he's passionate about all his life, at least that's something that you you know if you're supporting with him in one thing, then the next, if there's something else that he's like, you know, I think I like this thing now. At least he knows he can count on you guys to like support him. Absolutely. And actually, some of the best athletes that I ever knew in basketball also happened to be, they had a, well, two of the, two of the athletes I think of that were remarkably talented, two of the best of the players that I ever saw, also had a really strong music background. And I remember like watching them and I was and watching them play sports and then watching them with their music. And I was just thinking to myself, wow. Yeah. You know, how does, how did that regiment of, you know, each of them went through lots of, they, they in a sense, for lack of a better way of saying it, they learned to pay a price with their music. And they learned that there were difficult skills that they could learn and overcome through persistence and passion and coming back again, consistency. And I, I strongly believe that that spilled over into, so it spilled over into their athletic career. So when it comes to Brady as well, I think that he's feeling passionate about or really wanted to try his hand at, um, I'm, I'm convinced that even if he tries a couple things, that, that there's no loss. That there's yeah. Because whatever it is, experience you, gained. So yeah, and you're gonna like those those guys who are musicians. They learned grit. They learned how to develop grit, and what and that in that one thing, and then that translates into whatever else you want to do with your life or be committed with. I mean, I mean, I had a conversation with somebody recently, and and I've I've read this book called How to Raise an Adult, <laughs> and it talks oh, really? about yeah, and it talks about how. Kids who grew up as millennials, they didn't because because they most parents they came in and they did everything for them and they didn't allow the kids to uh, explore their own anything. <laughs> um, mm. They never established how to have grit or the self-efficacy that they needed to be able to finish something or you know, or do anything that they could um, work hard at. And so, but when kids are allowed to work hard do things that, that 
you know, it takes, that is challenging and hard to do, they establish that ability, the mindset that they can do hard things and that they can work hard and overcome challenges and do those difficult things. And so it's been, it's really interesting idea to think that parents, we always, I think we kind of think, oh, I need to come in and rescue them. But at the same time, that's doing them a disservice because they aren't learning how to go through that hardship. And um, I'm also reading um, Brene Brown's book called uh, Rising Strong. And she talks about the same kind of thing where in our lives, we don't sit with the discomfort of things. And so we just yeah. don't want to deal with it. And so, but that is becoming a huge uh, disadvantage for people who want to do hard things because they don't believe that they can. Or they yeah. don't want to sit with the discomfort of dealing with the challenges of things. So it's like, yeah. even, you know, even if our kids decide, if, if they work really hard at one thing and they get really good at it and they decide later, you know, I think I'm, I'm done with this for now and I want to go on something else. It's like, okay, you did a, you did a good job with that thing. And now you have that skill in your pocket and go and learn another one like that's something you know you don't have to be a jack of all trades and master of none you can master a lot in a yeah. short period of time and then move on to something else like i totally agree you know and, and as, as parents as parents too i think that we kind of i mean we we wish for someone to hand something to us or remove an obstacle or difficulty. Like we wish that someone would do that for us. So maybe the maybe the tendency too with, with millennials or otherwise is that a parent might think, oh well, you know, almost subconsciously, I wish someone would do this for me. So I'm gonna do it for my kids. When in reality, it it's yes, there's a there's a loving aspect that we want to be there for our kids and we're there every step of the way, but. But, but that, that if done, done too often and, and too regularly, then, then yeah, you can yeah. kind of stun, stun that. I like that you call it grit. Yeah. Kind of stun that grit, the ability to, to dig in and, and change your own surroundings. Um, my, I think that sometimes, too, one of the things that my, that my dad was really good at, I think mom was good at it, too, but dad was the one that kind of stuck in my head. I remember him coming home from work one day. And this was when I was 14, and I was, uh, incidentally, I'm sure that some kids, they heard me start to say, well, and I was playing video games when Dad came home. They started to roll their eyes like, oh, no, he's going to talk about video games. But I was playing video games, and Dad came home, and he came, came and sat down next to me. And in kind of a surprising way, he said, Paul Schulte, he kind of addressed me quick. I jumped a little bit, and I was like, hi, Dad. And he goes, 20 years is going to come a lot faster than you think. Um, actually, I think Dad did it. No, Dad did it the other way. He would say, um, four years is going to come a lot faster than you think. So what do you want to be doing in four years? What do you want to be hanging out with? What do you want to be? He just he plugged me with these questions. And my response was like to roll my eyes and go, Dad, are we going to do this again? Yeah. <laughs> and he goes, 10 years, 10 years. How old are you going to be? What do you want to be doing? Where will you be? And I was like, oh, dad, I just almost beat this level. Like, can I get past this? And then we can talk. And, he, and uh, as I finished that, I'm like, and then can we talk? He goes, 20, 20 years. And I took a deep breath and I'm like, fine. He had already interrupted the game, right? Like my character had already died or something like that. So I set the controller down. I was like, fine, dad. You want to talk about 20 years from now? I'll be 34 years old. I want to have a house, a really pretty wife, 
I want to have a gold medal and a job there. You happy? And my dad goes, good. Really good. Now, what'd you say again? He may have even written him down on a three-by-five card. He's like, good. I like that. I like that. Now, in 10 years, you'd be 24. So what would you need to be doing in 10 years in order to arrive where you want to be when you're 34? Yeah. He was like, any answer? And I could tell that he was determined. So I'm like, okay, fine. 24. I would be in college, maybe married at that point, but hopefully dating. Uh, I'd like to have a nice car and uh, playing college wheelchair basketball. And maybe even made a USA team at that point, you know, dreaming lofty here. And my dad was like, very good. And he went down to five years and then two years. And he forced me through that exercise multiple times. And he said, son, it's 4.30 in the afternoon. What are you going to do with the remaining two hours that you got here before dinner? And when it starts to become time for bed, that's going to get you where you want to be when you're 34. Dad was almost, I won't use the word, it was lovingly forceful. He brought that up consistently enough that it kind of drilled into our heads that, hey, the little decisions we make today, pattern of those little decisions do result in our reality those years later. And and he said, now, he said, you got two hours. He said, you're, I said, I know, I know you really want to play basketball at a high level. He's like, son, your free throw percentage isn't necessarily through the roof. How about we go shoot a little bit while the sun is still out and I'll rebound for you. And so that was kind of, I, as a dad now, I think to myself, you know, dad wasn't just going to tell me stuff. He would then sacrifice his time. He was then going to say, and I will do whatever you ask me to do to help you get there. And so, and I, and I was like, all right. So I remember setting my controller down and going up with dad and going out to the basketball hoop. And he said, uh, and then two other things. And he was like, now he's like, I also know you want to go to, uh, you know, you know, you want to go to college, you know, I know you want to have a good job and math has been pretty challenging for you lately. So when we're done, why don't we, why don't I, let's, let's take a glance at your homework. Let's see what you got to see what you got to get done. And then the last thing that he said was, I heard you want to be married to a really pretty lady someday. Let's talk about how you've been treating your mom and your sister lately. Because did you know that there's some small correlation, some people think, on how you treat your mom and your sister and how you'll treat your future wife. And so dad was dad was good at breaking down little little habits and little things that would steer towards the future. So um, that doesn't necessarily play well into the – that doesn't necessarily speak to the kind of the, the grit um, – the grit foundation that you kind of got to have sometimes, but certainly he didn't have a vision for me. He fostered in me the questions and the move, the, the, the movies, the other things. And dad and I were really close. So um, going through the accident, going through the hospital together, really, it was, it was a gift to me in a sense, because I really feel like I, I got to know my dad. I got to see my dad in some really hard circumstances, and I got to see his grit, and I got to see his uh, stick to itness and, and his ability to keep a positive attitude with all the people around him, even when he was hurting. And uh, yeah, I really love that. So, I really love that because you know that's one of the things too that I'm learning was that um, another reason why kids don't develop grit is because parents tend to try to hide their struggles. 
and and but when you when your kids see you struggle and or that you're learning something together or if they hear stories from your past of when you had to overcome a trial or things that helps them to see that you have grit and that that's something that they're like oh i'm gonna go through challenges too and oh you know mom went through this or dad went through this and and so that's a really big component of kids developing grit is seeing their parents experience those things and the struggles and and that's that's what helps create resilience in kids is is um that connection that they get with their parents or with their ancestors who have struggled mm. to see their ancestors mm-hmm. stories um, yeah and that creates a really true resilience and it helps them develop an, an identity a sense of identity and that's another big part yeah. of family culture is a fam- is an identity it gives kids uh, an origin <laughs> you know a, yeah. an identity of where they're coming from so that's I love that story that, that point that you made about your dad like it's so crucial that that kids see and I bet it's great for Brady to see that what you have gone through and that you've had success and and you've worked hard and it, it probably is sending the message to him I can work hard and if I work hard and I do this then I can be just as successful as my dad and so that's a really cool you know and and if you tell him stories like you know what it wasn't always easy for me but I can I did this and I did that and 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 he'll start to be like oh really okay then I can work hard at this too yeah so, some of some of the teachers that I've had that I that I love the most, right? They they stayed really connected to their they stayed really connected to their roots. And some people would say that they stay humble, but they they are able to keep a good perspective. They never forgot where they came from. So Brady's been able to come with me to a few um, wheelchair basketball clinics where we teach young kids how to play wheelchair basketball. And I, you know, feeling inspired from those people that inspired me. And I feel like dad was always that way too. Like, even if you felt really uncoordinated or you did something in a game that was just, you know, kind of embarrassing, um, he wouldn't, he would, he would try to get right next to you. I feel like mom was this way too. And just say, Hey, you know, everybody's, everybody has moments like that. And, and I like to show kids what my first shot looked like because it was kind of like a baseball throw you know it took me it took me years and some weightlifting to be able to shoot from you know to shoot one-handed like you're used to seeing a basketball player shoot from any kind of distance and um and so I I appreciate that too about um my parents it's just kind of it's a uh, for lack of a better way of describing it it's there's a humility factor to it and a willingness to say, yep, I'm, I am who I am today, but I'm still also the person that um, wasn't very good. I don't, I don't consider myself to be naturally athletic. I think I had to, I think I had to kind of will myself through some things, that didn't, some things that didn't come easily to me. So um, this is neat to talk about because the family aspect behind an athlete is, it's, it's, for me, it's what really makes me tick. Yeah, you don't hear a ton about it. That's why, you know, when the uh, when the Olympics come on, and I think it's, uh, what is it, Procter & Gamble or something like that, they, have, they, they show the mom commercials. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes. You see that, and you're like, oh, I start crying. It's fantastic, because it is, it's more true than you can put into words or video. And uh, and it's, it's really awesome. Behind each... Behind each Olympian or para, Olympian and Paralympian, there are there are spouses, there are family members that um, 
that, that joined on that vision, that, that hopped on that vision and that dream and said, all right, if you're willing to work that hard, then I'm, then I'm willing to sacrifice. And um, pretty special. And that's what, that's exactly, that's exactly what, um, what I try to do for Brady. So Brady, uh, Brady went to a, uh, he went to a, a friend's birthday party and they had it at a BMX track and they had Strider bikes out there. And I remember one of the first times that Megan and, uh, Megan and Brady and I went to the Strider track, um, Brady had gone. He, we had just kind of stopped the clock and said, you know, we've, we've been here for two hours and we're like, Brady, you ready to go home? And he's like, no. And we're like, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're going to go today. It's getting dark and we're done for today. And when he, that was when he was four. It was a real kind of like focused, absorbing it in kind of like a sponge and like, all right, well, if you're going to do that, then I think we probably better come back. And so anyhow, he got excited. He found, you found something that he was excited about. That's yeah. That he got, that he got a thrill from doing. So that's cool. Awesome. Well, one last question, I think. Um, just what piece of advice would you give to parents who are trying to um, establish? I mean, we've already covered a lot, but what would your final words of wisdom be for parents who are who are trying to help their children to, to find their passion? To find their passion or, or excel at their passion? Yeah. Yes. I would say... I would say that as an athlete that competed at the highest level, I would say that part of in the moments that I feel most invincible as an athlete are when I am shrouded and bolstered by the love of my family. I know that I've already I, I go into a game and I'm thinking to myself, I've, I've already won. I have a wife that loves me and will always be there for me. I have parents. That, and I wasn't necessarily thinking this as a teenager, but I think that subconsciously it was always there. I knew that they were going to be there no matter what happened, whether I prepared myself really well and I was successful or that I didn't prepare that well. And, you know, the game or the tournament didn't go that well. And so I would say love, 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 you know, love your kids. And, and then also strive to... You know, they're they're going to face a lot of the same challenges. I mean, I think that you know, to your points, a lot of time kids, a lot of times kids don't know some of the harder challenges that their parents go through because our parents themselves. I mean, we ourselves, we don't want to necessarily share our hardest struggles with our kids because we want to scare them. You know, like they might think, oh my gosh, you know, kids, you know, we love our parents, so you don't want to get your 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 son or your daughter overly worried about you but but when and where it's appropriate for them to know yeah to know that hey you're both striving for the way that you want your life to be and the only guarantee is that there will be adversity right that's the only guarantee but that that really as we stick together and for me faith was a huge part of everything that we did and knowing that there was also kind of a, a higher purpose to our family and why we were together um, also also insulated me against the hard times. Awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. You are welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for what you do. This is, you know, family culture and the impact of, you know, love and habits and, and good, good, good decisions and principles 
they'll they'll shape our whole nation completely. So can I direct people to your to your uh, website and stuff and your foundation? Absolutely, absolutely. So paulsfoundation.com is the website of the foundation, and I feel like that's uh, got some of the some of the latest information on me. And then the other um, the other thing, if they ever wanted to see a video on me, then I think you can type in um, real life wheelchair Paul. Those are the four words I can think of that are easiest to spell. If you get put my last name in, if you did wheelchair basketball, Paul Schulte, then some videos would come up too. But there's a couple that were done on me that, that show my family and show my wife and tell a little bit about my a little bit about my story. And it was it was mentors that I got to observe and learn from that that helped make a big difference in my life. So I definitely don't mind sharing that and hope that it hope that it inspires someone else on the right day. Yep. Thank you again for listening to my conversation with Paul. He's really awesome, and it's awesome to see his example and his hard work. Since having this interview, I actually have read the book Grit by Angela Duckworth, and she talks about when you enroll your child in anything that they are interested in, it's their hard thing that they invest their effort and their work into, that you have them commit to it at least the duration of the term that you have them signed up for. Um, a real commitment comes after one and two, or two years of actually doing a sport or an instrument or something. And I thought that was an interesting little tidbit to include in this, along with this context of discovering what your child's passion is and how to support it and how to inspire them. I think Paul's insights about being a mentor are amazing and his dad's example of being a mentor and I'm not at all surprised when I hear that story about his dad because he was inspiring even to me growing up when you know I didn't play any sports really but I played an instrument in the marching band and he would always stand up there in the stands and I could hear him say go Jody you know and it was just wonderful and inspiring I've included on my show notes here the video that Paul talked about and you can also get a link to his site, com slash foundation to learn more about the work that he's doing. But for sure, be sure to go to the show notes and watch the video that Paul talked about at homeandfamilyculture.com. You can listen on Stitcher and iTunes, and you can check me out on Facebook, Family Culture Podcast. Thank you for listening. Please like and follow and share and comment. And thank you for listening.